The Gardening Hour podcast on BBC Essex with Ken Crowther. Hi, I'm Ken Crowther and this is the BBC Essex Gardening Hour podcast. Don't forget, you can subscribe to this podcast via the BBC Sounds app. This week, Mick Lavelle was my special guest, taking your calls on everything from clematis and even mushroom plants. We've also got some top tips on things you could be getting on with in the garden. Plus, plant of the week. Now let's go straight to your calls. And this week, we start with George from Canvey. Hi, George. Morning, Ken. Morning, Mick. Right, I've got a winter flowering clematis, which has just stopped blooming. It's been a fantastic thing. But we actually put it on the six-foot metal obelisk. Which you is put it on totally, an obelisk, yep. Yeah, it's totally outgrown. It's gone up and come back down again. Right. I want to move it and put it to... I've got an eight-foot arch and six-foot span, which I think is going to be more beneficial for it. How, how old is this clem, winter flowering clematis? We only put it in last spring. Oh, just last oh, spring. Okay, then, They're yeah, vigorous, yeah. aren't they? I yeah. mean, they're much more oh. vigorous. Which one was it? It's Winter Beauty. Winter Beauty. That's one of the little droplets. It's got a little droplet flower, yeah? That's it, like little bells. Yes, yeah. it's very attractive indeed. Clematis sorosa. Yeah, you could move it. When would you move it? It's trouble is it's in flower, isn't it, Mick, at the moment? It's, it's just finished flowering. It's been oh. blooming since about December. Yeah, they, they did fire quite early this year. Uh, Evergreens, I think you is, could move now, couldn't If you? you're going to move them, you, yeah. whether it's flowering or not, you know, you'd have to think now is really about the best time for, for moving a lot of these things. Uh, it will then put on new growth. You're going to have to cut it back quite hard, and you have to try and get as much root as possible. The thing with clematis, they tend to root a little bit on the deep side because they like the roots nice and cool. They like to have right. cool roots and hot tops, okay? It's just because of the nature of where they grow, because they're a forest edge plant. Yeah. So <laughs> cut How it back hard. How much you think I can actually trim it back? Yeah. Tri- oh, uh, you can be oh, quite ruthless with those. With about a foot and a half, maybe two foot, something like that, but maybe even less than that, because it'll shoot from the base again. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so cut it off. Dig it up, take, try and get yourself um, a, a sheet of some sort, like my pecs or something like that, some woven sort of plastic if you've got it, or, or some or of an old polythene bag. Old polythene bag, sack, anything like that. Fertiliser sack, ideal. To make sure you support the root ball when you lift it, take as much soil as you can within reason around it to make sure the roots are okay. And when you dig the, um, the new pit, make sure you dig it, loosen up the soil, particularly at the base, so you can root down deeply. And then when you plant it in, plenty of organic matter on the surface, some, some good, well-rotted compost or something. So the roots are kept cool and moist through the year, and that will really encourage it to grow. You may yeah. get a bit less flower next year, but the year after that should be fine. OK. Oh, fantastic. That's fantastic. Thank you very much indeed. But Not don't do it if you've got claggy soil. Wait till you get a bit of dry soil. That's yeah, really wait till, wait till hot is gone now. OK. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. Thank you. Thanks very much. Um, that's quite interesting, actually. I heard another piece of... Uh, talking about all these storms and mm. weather and in fact we had i think it was 2000 i don't know so say 10 years ago mm. 10 years ago we had 12 storms by now yeah in the winter mm. we've only had four this year yeah. but because we give them names they're more exciting and we can talk about i them think more. also we've, we've come after a period of relative calm and they've all come together do you know what it is though i think it's the <laughs> phenomenon of the weekend storm the weekend storm, <laughs> so you can't enjoy yeah. your garden. So it's like, this weekend we're having hot hay. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and it just seems to be weekend after weekend that we're getting the Very bit, disappointing, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So Still? 
Plenty of things we can talk about in gardening. 0800 4041. We go to Marlene from Great's Tay. Hello, Marlene. Good morning. Morning. Good morning. Um, right, we have a, a pond in our garden, a paddock yeah. for 30-odd years. And up until three years ago, I had loads and loads of frogs. Now we have not any. And we had a visit at that time from a grass snake. Has um, it, has uh, it, has, is that the reason why? I think that's the reason why we don't have any. It's Well, it's possible. I mean, the thing is, really, with frogs, frogs um, and grass snakes and herons and all the other things that eat frogs have lived together, you know, co-evolved mm. for millions of years. And frogs have been around for, for you know, literally, you know, so hundreds of millions of years, really, in terms of amphibians. So a lot of it now is that the frogs are facing all sorts of other pressures and they've become relatively scarce. We've noticed the last couple of years, because one of the ponds in a wildlife garden at the University College, and we, 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 I was there with them, uh, Gurley Disley, uh, Charlotte Disley Grounds, and we were looking and said, there's no frogs. And she was, she'd been back to um, to Devon, where she's from. She says, ponds at the farm in Devon are just full of uh, frogs. Right. It's probably the fact that frogs are relatively scarce. So something like a grass snake, if it's got a big population of frogs, doesn't impact on them particularly seriously. Because there's, there's always new ones could, coming up. But if you've, got a, if you've got a successfully breeding grass snake, and it'll feed on fish and frogs and all sorts of other things, it may have really dented the population. Then cats go after them as well. Badgers might uh, go after I'm not saying badgers do, because there's lots, lots of other things. cats do, don't they? Yeah, but there's lots of things which might go for them, yeah. And they've had, what, about 20... What we're forgetting, we're talking about Storm Jorge and all this sort of thing, and uh, Storm Kia and all this... We've had 20 months of drought prior to that, up until about September, October. It's been it's very dry easy, for almost 20 it's, months. It's very easy, Mick, to forget the yeah. dry periods when you've got a wet period, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, and I think this, those dry periods are really hard for amphibians. You know, so, Is there I mean, any uh, way I can encourage them back or any way I can... Well, no, no, you, you, no you've clearly got nothing. a pond, which um, is, uh, like. is, is like, yeah. What I would say, if they're not in there at the moment, if there's definitely no spawn in there. The other thing which sometimes eats frog spawn, I tell you, funnily enough, or young tadpoles are great crested newts, which are another scheduled species. Like, you know. So, I mean, um, amphibians do antagonise each other in that sort of sense. But if, if you don't think you've got anything in there, now's a good time of the year to give your pond a clear. Clear out so, so you can make sure it's uh, got plenty of open, uh, well, deep enough water and things like that. So you can always give your pond a bit of maintenance now, but try and keep it the way it was because clearly it has attracted amphibians in the past, so it's got what they need. But you, you can't attract something which isn't there. I mean, I wrote a book on wildlife garden a few years ago. The editor maybe take out a line where I was saying you could put an elephant uh, uh, habitat in your garden, but if there's no elephants, it won't come. No, uh, so, so you know, so, I was thinking about perhaps if I could find someone that's got frog spawn. Try and encourage Ooh, it. Oh, I am now not, obliged no, no. to say, under the Wildlife and Countryside Act 1982, that move. you are not allowed to do that. All right, so, both so, yeah, no. so uh, I don't want to know if you, if uh, about anyone that has done that, but uh, but it's not, you're not allowed to. So it's I have not. To, yeah. You just don't do it, do you? Uh, best of luck with that, Marlene. And if you get a return of frogs, Marlene, come back to us and let us know because we'd love to hear from you. We go now to Jackie from Hornchurch. Um, what are we talking about? A shrub in your garden, are we? Yes, because last year um, we noticed, uh, noticed, and all my friends noticed these funny red round balls. Um, uh, obviously, after after flowering, um, and I hadn't noticed it before. And anyway, I sent you some leaves, and you still couldn't identify it. Could not. And then oh. I heard. Well, then I heard on the. Uh, some sort of gardening program it was they were talking about um um it wasn't monty don it was a, 
I think, a, a, a person that was doing all the winter uh, planting of wildflowers. And then I thought, I know, I recognise the flowers now that I've got in my garden. They've been out since December. Um, it's very, very dainty. Every three inches, there's a cluster of tiny leaves and then this little dainty flower that is sort of pinky lavender in the stem, uh, in the stamen, and then it's yellow in the centre. And it looked like a, a winter honeysuckle, am I right? Uh, there, right. Are, there are winter honeysuckles, yeah. Is this but... a shrub or a plant, well, or just, a herbaceous it, plant? It's, uh, it's a, a plant that just appeared by my greenhouse. Yeah, but, right but is, it, is it permanently above the ground, or does it die down and come back each year? Uh, it come, Well, it comes back once a year. So it dies yeah. right back down to ground level? Uh, no. Right, so it's a shrub. Is it woody? It's every three inches, yes, it is woody. But yeah, but so, so it might, it might be. There, there are some winter-flowering um, honeysuckles. There is, there's a number of them. Uh, the oh. commonest ones are things like cross fragrantissima. Yeah, uh, and oh. some other ones. But they, they... and it, is it fragrant? The smell. I've cut a piece off. I've, I've, I've had a cold, so I've got. Yes, it and has it got? Slightly. Has it got a very small leaf? Yes, it's very very tiny, about no longer than half an inch, and it's a cluster. It like it goes up every three inches. Yeah, yeah, well, well, well the thing is, with with them, um, with the flower, you can, the way to tell if it's a honeysuckle is if the flowers are in pairs. They usually yes, they start they off are. from one little pedicel and they split yes. into two little stems with a flower on oh, the end of each. Yes. Right? Yes. It, yes. Are they like that? Yes. It's a honeysuckle. I think you've got a honeysuckle because the American name for for the shrubby honeysuckles is a twin flower. And actually, even the climbing honeysuckles also have twin flowers, because they have lots and lots of twin flowers close together. You don't notice it, but they're always on a single pedestal from the stem, and yes. it splits into two. Yes, yeah, so you've got a honeysuckle then. Yeah. Oh, all right. Well. Right. Okay. After a year, thank you very much. That's all right. Problem. We got there in the end. Thank you very much indeed. It's, it's a difficult one, isn't it? Because honeysuckles are a, a strange... People always think climber. Yeah. But in fact, there are shrubs. Yes, Several yeah. shrubs. Yeah, there's, a number of them. Yeah, some there's, are evergreen as well. Wind, yeah. yeah, some are fragrant, some mm. aren't fragrant. Yeah. Some are semi-evergreen, as you say. It's it's quite a mix, isn't it, really? Mm. Um, now we go back to Harold. Hello, Harold in Basildon. Hello there, friends. How are you? We're right. fine. Well, well, thank you. What are you up yeah. to? Um, well, I have had given to me uh, for Christmas. I've got two lovely granddaughters who look after me very well. And they've, they've given me, A, some gooseberry plants, because I had three lovely gooseberry bushes and they died last year. All right. Um, so I've re got those for replacing. And two blueberry, well, you know, supposed to be bushes, but they're in little tiny well, sort of one-inch square um, at the moment, and yeah. look as dead as a dodo. But um, w w when should they be planted out, and how should they? How far apart, etc., etc. Right. When you say planted um, out, if you've got the gooseberries, aren't really a problem. We like the soil very slightly acidic, but they're okay. You can plant those out in most gardens in Essex. Blueberries like an acidic soil and by that I mean yeah. about 5.5 it's a bit of a rarity in Essex yeah. well, they also I'm like it moist ericaceous good ericaceous yeah, that's good what I was going to say is put that in a pot then you just have a nice ornamental pot 
and um, put the ericaceous compost into that pot and then put your blueberries into the pot because that's the way to that's grow. That's the them. way to grow them. They mm. do not like oh. being in the ground in our oh. alkaline soils. No. Oh, don't they? No, no. They're not, they like it quite moist as well, so you can control the oh. moisture better. They like it moist but not wet, so if you um, water them, you can uh, it'll drain out of the pot. Let's start with plant of the week, Primula vulgaris. Yes, it's the wild or common primrose. It's a native to the western and southern parts of Europe. Its name is from the Latin primus or prime or first. Yeah, the first to appear in spring. Vulgaris is common or widespread, as it used to be. Yeah, it used to be everywhere. Is it still today? Well, we're being encouraged to plant it by commercial growers growing it, and therefore you can buy it in garden centres, but it still is Primula vulgaris, or the common um, Primula, or prim, sorry, Primrose. Um, it's a perennial, four inches-ish high, basal leaves are there all year, and it flowers February to April, and yes, the flowers and the leaves are all edible. The leaves are heavily wrinkled, unlike a lot of the other primulas, uh, and they're evenly toothed. And down, hidden in the rosette of leaves, each flower is on a single stem, a sort of pale yellow, and actually perfumed. Even in nature, you occasionally get a white one, and you occasionally get a pink one. Individual plants produce two types of flowers, so these two flower types are needed to, for fertilisation, which they produce a small black seed. You can either grow from seed or division. They love growing in woodland, under trees, hedgerows, sometimes in meadows. They're like humusy sort of soil, rich soil, and can put up with a bit of stone as well. They're protected by law to not pick or dig and remove by the Wildlife Countryside Act 1981. So buy them from a garden centre, get them in your garden in the woodland areas and enjoy them for many years to come. Uh, let's go back now to the phones and see if we can help a few of you around the county. Alan, Denise and Ted. Well, let's go to Alan first, shall we? Hi, Alan. Morning, Ken. What are we up to? It's about... I don't know if you've heard of it, a mushroom plant. A, a mushroom mu plant? Yeah. So is it a mushroom or is it a plant that looks like a mushroom or...? Plant and it, it's got... Well, can my wife speak, talk to you? Because she's bought it and she told you more about it. Okay. I'll just over to you. Hello, Ken. Hi. No, it's... Um, it's I bought it from um, a garden show and it looks a bit like... It grows like mint. It's no. called... Rungi C L O double S I I. That's it. Close eye, Rungi eye, close I don't know it. I'm going to be honest with you. No. And it, well, oh, what I wanted to know was, does it come? It, I've had it in the conservatory over the the, the winter, and it's still green, and um, it's it looks all right. And I just wondered if it was a plant that came up like mint. You know, every it dies off and comes back again, or is it just a uh, just is it just one plant for one year? Do you know what um, I mean? An, an annual. Well, the, the problem there is we're not sure what, what the plant it is. is. So, <laughs> so um, can you can you spell its first name again for us? What? R U N. R U N. Yeah, G I A. 
G I A Rungia. Rungia. Yeah, yeah Rungia. Rungia Closi. Closi? Uh, then it's C. Uh, sorry, K L O double S double I. Mm. It tastes like Where did you find it? <laughs> in a, in um, Woburn Garden Centre, uh, oh. Woburn Garden Show. And it does like taste like mushrooms. Oh, that's it, why it's called the, mu- the mushroom plant. <laughs> yes. Um, I like buying odd things. And its its leaf is a little bit smaller than a mint leaf, but it's not as veined. So what you're really trying to find out is whether well, it... it Back every year, or does it? Should it? Whether it's an annual or a perennial. Now I've done the made the unusual step. We don't usually on air look things up, but I have just looked this up for you, and um, it's a conservatory plant, and it does. uh, It it is a perennial. It's partial shade. Partial yeah. shade, it, um, it water it all year round. It will grow, grow all year all year round. They are okay. Now oh, we have well to be on. Now we have to be honest. We do the right we, thing, then. Yeah, and I think what Mick said is very true. There's been a slight pause because Mick has actually looked it up, but we do not oh. look up. Most of it is to so that we keep talking and keep answering your questions. I'll, I'll be, uh, it's That's only when we don't. Time. It's only when we don't know something. When you said the name of this plant, I was thinking, who? Never heard of this no. before. So I thought I'd best look this up because we don't want to give out bad advice. So, so, um, no, so, no. so I don't. I confess, I don't know much about the plant. I and mean, if I spent 10, 15 minutes looking this up and it's all working out, we could probably get to the bottom of what it was. But what, what do you use it for yourself? Well, I just put it in stews and things like that to flavour it. If I haven't got any mushrooms, that's I'd interesting. Talk, yeah. I, I take pick some of the leaves off and put them in the shoes and things like that, or whatever. If, if I fancy sort of um, uh, putting them in with um, an omelette or something like that. That's good. Well, I'll tell you what. Let's. I, uh, it wasn't Alan. You are. I'm Anne. You're Anne. <laughs> yes. Anne. Alan was who talked to Alan and Anne. Alan and Anne. Well, will I just ask around and see if anybody else uses it and as, how they're growing it? Because uh, we'd be interested to know, wouldn't we? Indeed. Yes. It does flower. Yeah. As well, a little little tiny purple flower. Oh, so it's quite an attractive little plant then. Yes, it is actually. It's quite a dark green. Oh. Yes. Yeah. So something to look out for. Yeah. Now we know what. Now we know what we're looking for. Yeah. Now now we know what we're looking for. Thank you very much indeed, Anne. That's lovely to talk to you there about that. It's, see, you learn something every day in gardening. Indeed, don't you? indeed. Um, now we go to Ted. In Harlow. Hello, Ted. Good morning, Ken. Good morning, Mike. Mick. Good morning. Um, my camellia, I've noticed that there's very few buds on it this year. Okay. And um, I noticed some of the leaves have started to lose their colour. A little bit faded. Yeah. Um, is it the end of the line for the plant? I think it's not about nec- 10 years old. No, no, no. 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 10 they, years is nothing. They'll live to no. 100 or more. And here's a man who works in a rhododendron uh, yeah, and camellia so, nursery. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so right. right. Now, with them, yeah. um, with camellias, they, they are not quite as sensitive to um, to lime in the soil as rhododendrons and azaleas, uh-huh. for instance, but they are uh-huh. so sensitive. They like to be. No, you know, about six, six point five is about the limit for them in terms of a soil pH. And the oh, yellowing yeah. you're getting is something called lime-induced chlorosis, which sounds complicated, but oh. just means that the lime is locking up the iron in the soil, uh, and um, that is what they need. The, way, yeah. the best oh. way to try and uh, get over this, if you if you want camellias and your soil isn't suitable, you can grow them in pots. And there are some dwarf varieties. Yes, it, it, it doesn't it, need care. It's in a 
It's in a pot. It's in a oh, pot. It's oh, in right. a pot. Yeah. And it's in ericaceous compost. Ah, oh, but okay. So how yeah. long have you had it in that pot? Ten, you said ten um, years. Probably all all its life. Yeah, that's the problem. Yeah. yeah. And how big's yeah. the pot? It's it's very big. Um, right. I mean, your best thing is feet, feed it. Feed it with ericaceous feed. Do you feed it? Um, I I did feed it. Um, but then I read some information and it said to stop feeding it about autumn time. Oh, yes, yeah. Oh, that's you right. don't feed it no. in the winter. But, yeah. but if you're feeding it, you can get food for yeah. specifically for um, ericaceous plants. And you can also get something yeah. called sequestrine. It's, well, that's a brand, but it's, it's, it's so oh, old. Yeah. It's like a, a sequestered iron. Yeah. And I think I've only ever seen sequestrine for, uh, on sale oh, in recent right. years. It's yeah. quite an old-fashioned product, because most people now yeah. don't try and grow um, acid-living things on a limey soil. But yeah. it's the sort of stuff you can put onto hydrangeas to make them blue and things yeah. like that, because it's got a lot of iron in it. You know? so, right, so yeah. You can yeah water it with that to give it a bit of a pick-me-up and you can also yeah. use a really weak solution of that and foliar feed it two or three times in the spring and it will help to bring it um, back along but I mean that, that's if it's lime. Now the other thing of course if it's going, when it's going yellow is it going yellow in a sort of motley uh, irregular way or is it or is the whole leaf just going yeah. yellow? Um, no it's just um, the leaves themselves the edges have just gone a bit lighter a bit lighter colour, that's all, so but it's, it's not on all the leaves. It's right around the few. outside, of, yeah. Um, yes, is it, it speckly is. or is yeah. it an even colouring? It's it's even, yeah. It might not, not be laryngeal sclerosis then, because that's usually a general lack of condition across the whole thing. Oh, Are right. the margins browning or is it just going yellow? No, it's not browning or yellow. Um, but um, just, just going pale, and it's growing well. Um, the leaves are there, but I notice it's very. There are a couple. There's, there's, there's a couple of um, viruses mm -hmm. which affect camellias. Yeah, it's it's something called the um, yellow. Oh, I can't remember. Ye yellow mottle virus or something like that. Is one of the, yeah. something I think, I think the next. best bet yeah. is to try okay. the feed yeah. and try and boost right. it this um, spring. Yeah. And if yeah. if it's misshapen, you could prune it as well mm. to encourage new growth. Don't be afraid yeah. of that. How big yeah. is the pot? You said big, but how big? Um, it's a couple of feet in diameter. Oh, plenty. Of plenty, plenty. Yeah. And it might um, be worth taking an inch yeah. of uh, compost oh, off the top of the pot. Yeah. Fresh and then, compost, yeah. And adding fresh ericaceous compost back. Yeah, yep. okay. Right. If, you, if you've feed, got it leaf um, mould, we love leaf mould as well. Yeah. What about tomato feed? No, don't, no. Don't, don't, stick with no. stuff which is specific for it, yeah. I mean, tomato feed, you, you could give it a bolt of tomato feed yeah. when the buds are starting to set in the um, oh, the, the, right. the, the middle of the summer, which is yeah. when they, they form the buds, of course. And it doesn't hurt to give it a bit oh. then because it's a bit of extra potassium. But, I mean, um, tomato feed, as oh, yeah. the name suggests, is really formulated for tomatoes. We tend to yeah. overuse it for a lot of other yeah. things. Get something, go into your okay. local garden centre, go, go to one of the reputable ones and just get ask, say, you want something specifically formulated for ericaceous compost and ericaceous plants and we go to is it denise in hatfield peveril morning hello, hello. hi i've got a quick inquiry i'm okay at growing peony bushes yeah i also grew a peony bush sorry it's a peony tree which was five foot tall when i moved mm. home and had 10 inch blooms a beautiful purple color yeah so it was dug up and a friend of mine bless him tried his best but i didn't get all the root out yeah so when I transplanted it where I moved to, it it didn't really bloom too much. So I left it, and then last year, I actually moved it to the main bed in the back of the garden. And the actual 
new um, foliage was starting to go a pinky red colour. Yeah. So I've now put it in a pot and actually put feed in the pot. And I've kept it indoors under a clear roof to see if it can pick up. It's very long-winded. It's taking ages. And I don't know whether to persevere yeah. or put it. If I, if I, sorry, I mean, this will sound awfully dismissive, but the, the real sort of thing you've um, you've ignored in yeah. terms of peonies is they do not, not like, like being moving, moved. <laughs> and oh, so you've moved it once, twice, three times, you know, <laughs> right. uh, and so the the sort of reddening of the leaves is probably going. Oh, it's going to struggle. It's really going to struggle. Like it, yeah. It's oh. really difficult to dig up a, um, a tree peony, uh, and because um, so, they usually. Grafted as well, so they're often grafted onto um, what peony lutea, which is the um, uh, the the, um, the parent of all the sort of it's cultivated the ones. Yeah, the yellow one, it's the yellow one, yeah, quite uh, vigorous. Yes, one, yeah, and so often um, when you trans, if you try and transplant them, it has a double whammy. If it doesn't do well, but if it does recover, it actually starts to shoot from the rootstock rather than the uh, the scion which has been grafted onto it. So, oh, um, right, it is a bit of a tricky one. Um, it, I know well, you're going to hate this, growing. but the easiest thing to do now is to stop transplanting it, moving around, feeding it. Leave it well alone. Leave it alone, see if it recovers. But in the meantime, if you want one, go out and, you know, perfect time to buy one from a garden mm. centre and plant one. I know well, that sounds so throwaway, but it's actually no, uh, yeah. just the right don't, thing to but, do. Please don't try doing much to it at all. Just yeah. let it settle. Don't overfeed it because it mm. won't be needing feed at this time of the yeah. year mm. because it hasn't got much leaf. Well, it has got no leaf. It's just mm. starting to show bud, is it at all? It has got leaves coming. They yeah. come out like a dark red colour. Yeah. yeah. Um, don't and then going green. So I think it's coming, but just yeah. Well, just just leave stick. it to do its thing. Water it. Um, it shouldn't really be inside. If you've got it in a conservatory now, though, let's just uh, sort of forgive that for a moment and say, like, what you want to do is, as soon as we get into sort of middle of this month, latter part of, so middle of uh, March, uh, latter part of March, you can take it outside, put it in a sheltered position, but it, it, it's not a conservatory plant. It's something which needs to be grown outdoors. Well, it's not actually in a conservatory. I've got utility room, but there's like a clear roof. Well, in I mean, yeah, but I mean, you've, so you've got you've got it indoors. So, so I mean, it's it's not uh, yeah. the tautology about whether it's a conservatory or a utility room. What you want to do is make sure you get it actually outside in the elements. But I'm not but, sure which position to plant it because the way it was before, there was a hedge in front of it. It needs it needs basically sort of part shade. It, okay. it, ideally, sun in the morning, shade in the afternoon seems to suit them. We've got some at the university and where they grow, and that's exactly what we get. Okay, well, okay. I'll give that a go then. Thank you well, very much. Best of luck with that. Thank Th you. Thanks Bye. very much indeed. Um, and they are all important. Now we've talked about this. Yes, it's Veg Week. Once a month, we talk vegetables in your garden. If you're a keen vegetable grower or you want to just give it a try this year or you're a new gardener, now is the time. Back to your gardening questions in a little while, but right now on the BBC Essex Gardening Hour podcast, we've got some top tips on things you could be getting on with in the garden this week. Well, I don't know about... I think you need a bit of care, don't you? Because it's a bit wet. Yeah, well, I mean, sometimes it's choosing the jobs you can do, and um, obviously anything which involves digging at the moment with this wet sort of... Leave alone. Yeah, it's not the best time to do it. But... If it involves getting those secretaires out or the loppers out yep. and starting doing some of that, pruning, great time of the year for pruning this time of the year. And you can do that when it's raining on most species. So basically, as far as it goes with pruning this, this time of the year, key things to prune, anything which needs to be cut back down to a stool. So all of your winter stem colours. If you've um, got things like cornice or willows and things like that, which have got, got a beautiful winter stem colour, 
Don't cut it back until it uh, starts almost into growth. You can tell because it will go just a little bit duller than it has been. So, as soon as it stops to really shine and go sunshine, that's the time to cut it back. So from now till about mid-March is the time you'd be cutting it back. And in fact, mate, you're, you're over at the Riddle uh, University College there. Haven't those... Uh, they're, they're willows, aren't they? Salix on the front yeah. as you drive in. Wow, the colour of those. They're looking fantastic, yeah. And I mean, this time of the year, it's always like a bit of a gamble because you think you need to cut them back. We sometimes do it out of expediency because we have a class of students, we need to do it. Yep. We need to, it might be better to do it next week, but you think it's good weather, we've got students here, we'll do it. In your own garden, you know, you may just... Um, Enjoy it as long know, as you can, sort of thing. But you shouldn't leave it until the point where the actually buds start to burst and they get into growth, because then the plant's invested a lot of energy into that. You want to do it just before that, so it invests all its energy into making new, strong shoots from the base. And I know we're going on about this, but in fact... There is, with this warm climate we've had over the last few months, buds are bursting, aren't they? Well, they are, yes. And this is the thing. I mean, some of the um, pruning ideas I've talked about today are things which are any time in March, really. But, I mean, even We're doing it now. The last day of February, and we're having to talk about what we're doing in March because it has been so mild. I mean, mm. the nature isn't waiting. It's, uh, it's, it's got its cue and off it goes. So, I mean, we're talking about pruning then. Other things to, uh, to do at the moment then, of course... Uh, late flowering shrubs, um, things like, say, for instance, buddleia, for instance, things that we'd oh, expect yeah. to flower later on in the summer. You can cut them back quite hard now. Ruthlessly. Oh, yeah, really. I mean, all but relentlessly with buddleia, I would say, almost. <laughs> but, I mean, you've got to take them back quite hard. And, um, of course, any spring flowering shrubs, all your forsythias and flowering currants, they're all flowering already. So it's already time to start to think about cutting those back. Once they finish flowering, and as soon as they finish flowering, that's when you prune them to make sure that you get as good, strong, growth that will flower again next year and while we're at it climbers everyone says to me oh, oh, yeah. i don't know what to do with my climbers well the buds are all starting to swell now that tells you which are the living stems and which are the ones which you want to keep so, so get rid of that rubbish trim them prune them tie them in tidy them up and give them a good old uh, going over so you get the best display of them possible for the summer thanks very much mick the gardening hour podcast on bbc essex with ken crowther Now, on the line now, we have Andrew Toakley. Now, Andrew Toakley is the Horticultural Director of King's Seeds. And Andrew, yeah, Andrew is there and waiting. Now, Andrew, I hear from you that you are actually hiding. Is that right? Hiding indoors? Uh, I'm not exactly hiding, um, (laughs) but... um... It's not the best day to be outside. I mean, although it has cleared a little bit at the moment, but boy, me, it's blowing a hoolie out there. Um, so if you're going to do anything, you want to be in the greenhouse, really, or if it's not going to blow away. Now, um, really, and seriously, we've been talking a lot about it this morning. The ground is very wet. So do you just keep off it? Basically, yes. I mean, it's it's far too wet to worry about doing anything out there on the plot at the moment. Um, you know, you're going to do for more you. harm Even than good. Even for you, yeah? <laughs> Sorry? Even for you, eh? Even for me, yes, it is. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to go out there and do anything. You're, you're not going to gain anything. The soil is too wet, it's too cold. Yeah. Um, you're far better to wait. But there are things you can do. So what do you get on with? I know we, we talk about cold greenhouses, but not everybody's got a cold greenhouse. But can you start things off? Yeah, you can if you've got a cold frame or even if you've got a sheltered spot in the garden and you just put them beside the house, um, you'd be OK. Certainly things like, 
I mean, last month we were talking about you could plant your your shallots into modules that right. you can't. Well, you can do exactly the same with onion sets. Um, you know, normally you'd be planting onion sets out in March. It's unlikely you're going to be able to plant those straight out into the ground this month. So start them off in some, some small modules just in the cool greenhouse. They'll just start to root, produce a few shoots, and that way you've not lost any time. And when the weather does finally break and it dries out, you've got something you can plant out rather than wait to put it straight into the ground. A mate of mine always swore by doing that because he said that it stops the birds pulling them out as well. It does that as well, mm. yeah, it's very true. It's, um, mm. you know, a lot of people, they put them in and the birds come along and hook them out. So mm. it just gives you that early start as well. So if you, if you were lucky enough to have a heated greenhouse... Yeah. You could actually start to grow a few things in there, couldn't you, at this time of year? Because the light levels have improved no end, haven't they? They have this last fortnight. They've improved a lot, yeah. Um, what I would do is, again, thinking ahead to what you can get going, you could put things like beetroot and spring onions, mm -hmm. sow a cluster of seeds in small modules. A lot of people think, beetroot, can you really transplant that? Well, yes, you can. Um, just for those few early salads, um, I wouldn't thin them out. I'd leave them as they are. Um, you might get funny-shaped beetroot, but it doesn't that matter. doesn't matter, does it? No, you, can, <laughs> you know, you can pull them then. You can, you know, if they're grown in the module, plant them out on the plot later on. Um, they'll be your first picking. And, and what I tend to do, I just lift a little clump at a time, and you've got, um, you know, these funny-shaped beetroot, but that's, that's fine. You can do exactly the same with spring onions. Any particular um, variety on the beetroot that you do for early like that? Something like Pablo. Okay. Um, Pablo works very well because it will make a nice baby beet. Um, okay. It's very sweet to the taste as well when it's young. Um, spring onions, you can do White Lisbon, Aishakura, or if you want a red one, you can do Lilia. Any of those would be some fine. People like, some people like that red one, don't they? Because it gives they a bit of colour to the plate, doesn't mm. it? It does. And, of course, there's things you can sow that I know would be very dear to your heart, Ken. You know, you can sow your brassicas, <laughs> so Brussels sprouts. My favourite, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Hate them. Um, you know, you're probably just finishing picking your last Brussels sprouts, or you have probably last month, and, and we're thinking about sowing them again. But sow now, and you'll get a nice plant to plant out. You know, if you're sowing them in March, you'll be planting those out towards the end of the month or certainly mm. beginning of April. And uh, they do need a long growing season. But, they do, don't they? Yeah, but your summer brassicas you can do as well, some early cabbage, a few cauliflowers, calabrese. Now, um, last, last month we talked about putting broad bean and particularly peas. Do we still continue to sow peas at this time of year? You can, yeah. You can sow peas in modules. Two or three per module would be fine. Um... I sowed some, um, well, the other day, to be honest, um, and they're just beginning to come through, and um, they're coming through in the heated greenhouse, and then they'll be moved somewhere cooler just to slow them down. And again, then you can plant those out. If you haven't, don't want to do them in modules, do them in a length of gutter. A lot of people do that oh, yeah. nowadays. Mm -hmm. You so, know, soak them in a length of gutter. Just watch out for mice. That's the only thing at this time of year. Now, if you've got a heated greenhouse, I know it's something I always go on about. You can sort of look at your salad and you can grow a bit of salad leaf. You can grow your radish. You can grow things like that that you can actually use at this time of the year, can't you? Yeah, if you've got a, like a little window box or something like that, you could sow some radishes in there in the greenhouse and you'll have an early picking. Um, lettuces I sow every two to three weeks. Um, just a little pinch in a pot, prick them out, or you could sow them direct in modules if you don't want to prick them out. And that way you'll have salads 
to harvest right the way through the year. Well, Andrew, thank you very much for joining us today. And we'll talk to you in about a month's time and we'll keep people up to date on what they could be getting on with in the veg garden. Is that right? And hopefully we'll be on the veg garden then, not, um, you know, (laughs) hiding away. Okay, thank you very much indeed for joining us today, Andrew. No problem. And that's Andrew Tokley, he's Horticultural Director of Kings of... Well, I say Coggleshaw because it's a Coggleshaw Road, but yes, they're in Kelverdon, and it's as easy as that. Come on, give us a call now, and we will take your call. Out of interest, the Bishop of Chelmsford has been uh, talking of his love of trees, and the Bishop Stephen says his two favourite, actually, in his current garden are Indian bean... Mm-hmm. Uh, that's nearly top of my list, funny enough. Catalpa. Uh, it's, it's lovely when it grows well, yeah. Yeah. Mm. And something people do with catalpas today is they cut them hard down, don't they? And yeah, make a it's, stump. It's, 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 it's a sort of the, the big tr- leaves, yeah. a trendy modern thing to do. I, I don't know that of, I if like you, it. If you're trying to do sort of like a tropical look and you put one in a border, it does have, because it's got big drip tips on them, it yeah. gives you that sort of tropical. But you, you're not growing a tree anymore. You've got really, uh, what you're, you're arresting it as a shrub, really. <laughs> you know, but there you go. <laughs> and his other one is tulip tree, mm. which, of course, is liriodendron, isn't Liri- it? Yeah. He's also admitted that he's looking forward to the garden he will be temporary custodian of when he becomes the Archbishop of York in June. And you can hear more about him. He's on Sunday Faith Breakfast Show with June tomorrow morning at about six o'clock. So listen out for that because it really is quite interesting to... um, how different people have got different ideas about trees, what they like, what they don't like, etc. Wouldn't you agree? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, well, actually, what's your, out of interest then, come on, I'll hit you with it. Give it actually, give us a call and talk gardening. That's on 0800 4041. But in the meantime, uh, what's your favourite tree then, Mick? Oh, I'm well, terrible come on, come on, come on. I'm terrible on um, I, You know, I don't know. Um, you don't know? <laughs> No, I really don't know. You don't know. <laughs> I, 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 but my wife has to say, "Me just says, what's your favourite thing you did today?" I said, "I don't know. I liked loads of things because I, I, I've, I've never really been much of one for picking a favourite." And some people say, "What's your favourite plant?" I say, "Oh, I don't know. I'll have a bit of favourite usually at the time, but then it passes yeah. and you find something else." Yeah, yeah. Because I've always had this thing. I said, "There's no such thing as a boring plant." Like, there really isn't. They've I'm just trying to think story. of one that I would think of boring. But. Yeah, but they've all got, I would say, even weeds, you know. I, mean, I talk to the students about this and I say, these weeds, you know, they've got remarkable stories. They're real competitors in the environment. So so from my point of view, I don't know. I mean, uh, if I think of one in the meantime, I'll let you know. Yeah, let me know. Right. Cathy <laughs> uh, Billericki has sent us an email and we had a, had a quick look at her indoor plant. We don't know whether it's a Dracaena, a cordline, or a Yucca, but it doesn't really matter. No. It's reached the ceiling, and what she wants to know is how to cut cut it back as it's too tall. Would I be able to plant the section that I cut off? Now... The answer is yes. Yes. But when would you do that, Mick? Right, not just yet, because the plant is... What happens with things like yuccas and a lot of um, tropical, subtropical plants in the sort of Dracaena and Cordyline and uh, yucca group is that they stop growing in the winter, not because they're naturally going dormant, but because the light levels are too low. So you really want to wait till the plant's just coming back into growth because it won't form roots if it isn't actually functioning. Now, you can, the top bit is actually the hardest bit to root because all that um, water will be lost through the leaves, even though it's relatively low amount of water being lost, means that it's uh, not got any roots and it will struggle. But you can take sections, a section about uh, two to three inches long, 
you just put them on a windowsill. I would normally just with a bit like a bit of magic marker or a, you know a sharpie or something, just put a little arrow pointing to which way's up if you're going to get going to struggle with this, and then dry them out for about two days on a windowsill, just out of the sun, not 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 bake them, just dry, just let them dry for a couple of days, and then put them into a really nice gritty compost. Add some extra grit and perlite in there to get so it keeps moist, but there's yep. plenty of air in there. The right way up, so the arrow pointing up. And you can uh, you don't need to put them into mist. You maybe just cover them lightly with a bit of plastic. You could put polythene bag around the whole pot, but but, you? but don't tie it around the edges. You don't no. want it to be too humid. And they should root, and they'll start to. It'll take a little while. It take two or three months, but you can actually get a say, whole it's lot not of a new two-minute job. But you... no, no, no. And they call those teas, T-I. And we used to get these uh, sent in. And I can't remember the different colours of the wax, but there's a different colour of wax on the top and the bottom. And he scraped the wax off the bottom uh, and, and put them in. He'd leave the wax on the top to leave it sealed. But I don't think there's any need to really Doesn't do matter. that. Yeah, yeah. Now, the other thing about them, if you cut them down, they sometimes will sprout from the base anyway, Well, that's what I was going to say. The base will be your best bet of all for... For a, shoot. a new plant, and if you do it at the right time of year, it's just coming into growth. You've got a good chance it will grow. Cause so lots, there's lots of latent buds on there. If it's indoors, what another end of the end of March? Do you think? I think so. Yeah, April's usually the time we advise yeah. that that's all 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 uh, systems go for house plants. So they are. Hope that's helped. And we go to we're going to try and also talk to about pelagoniums. Someone's having a bit of a struggle with pelagoniums, but we'll go to Cathy, who's given us a call on 0800 4041. Cathy, we're talking orchids, aren't we? Yes, we are. Yes, uh, I've got a number of phalaenopsis, and some of them are reflowering, but I've got a few that've got babies on the stems. So obviously, I would rather have the flowers than the babies. Yeah. So do I? Cut them off, or will I still get flowers? Well, my my <laughs> advice would always be Time. to try and to try and grow them. On. You say you don't want the babies, but if you try well, and root them, well, it take ages for them to root and mm. enough roots and yeah. how long? How many you, years I mean, you can you can cut them off. I mean, it's not going to be you're the not going to hurt the, the plant yeah, particularly. Yeah. Um, but the uh, well, sometimes the fact that it's making these is is more of a sign of a stage that the plant's in, in terms of its life cycle, sort of oh, thing. I so, see. So, okay. so I mean, well, uh, the plants look healthy. Just, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so, rather so, than flower. Than so I would cut them off. I mean, it's normally a bit of an awkward one because some orchids you can just cut them off almost straight away after they finish flowering. Other ones they don't like. You have to take just a bit off and leave it on on there. And phalaenopsis come into that latter sort of character. You don't want to be taking too much off at one go. But yeah, cut those off. Um, it will mean that they stop putting energy into producing that little plantlet and start to put some energy into uh, possibly into flowering or growth yeah okay okay uh, okay then well, I, I can't i won't get both i won't get the babies and the flowers no, um, no. At the same time, no. No. Okay. no well, well, you might. Yeah, yeah. No, that, you might. What I was going to say is if you start rooting them, you never know. The parent plant might just get to that st- the conditions are right and it starts to flower again. So. Yes, OK. OK, I'll do that. Back to your calls, texts and emails very shortly. But let's take a final look at the top tips that Mick's got for us this week. Well, yes, I mean, the time of the year when you go into a garden centre, bedding starting to appear, but it's not the summer bedding, of course, all that spring bedding, things like uh, the so-called winter pansies, plenty of those uh, now, polyanthus and things like that. There is some bedding which you can really benefit from deadheading, and, of course, the winter pansies are amongst those. They give a fantastic display this time of the year, but in order to get the best out of them, to encourage flowering and to encourage a lot of flower, uh, you need to make sure that you uh, keep on going out and just nipping off the uh, spent flowers. Uh, make sure you don't, they don't get to seed. As soon as they start to form seed, that's it. They'll say, my job's done, and they'll, uh, they'll stop the flowering. Violas seem to put up with... Bit- 
deadheads better than pansy, don't they? They do. They've been bred to be tolerant yeah. of it. But I mean, the thing is, it's like, you think, what's the difference? Tolerant and enjoy it. You know, I mean, if you went out to a, a night out and so you came back and said, how was it? And someone said, tolerable. You'd think, oh, that doesn't sound very good. I won't and that's there. the same with the violas, <laughs> and I think the really, violas, yeah, you, you want them to be really enjoying it, really flowering, really having a good time of it in your garden. So, so that's that's the one to do. So that's a keep on heads keep on off. deadheading. Anything yes. else for us? Yes, and this time of the year as well, of course, weeds. Make oh, it. <laughs> weeds! They <laughs> love growing as well, don't they're they? They're jumping at the moment, aren't they? If you get a day that's actually dry enough, you could consider getting out with the hoe, or maybe you know, bite the bullet and go out and do some hand weeding. Good time of the year or this time of year to make sure you've weeded the borders, weed them, feed them, and then fill them with mulch. Okay. Really helps, yeah. Doesn't it? I mean, and depending on where you're mulching, if you're mulching in between um, herbaceous plants, you can get away with something like, say, for instance, uh, mushroom compost. Used to be universally popular, harder to come across these days because fewer mushroom producers locally. Uh, although you could use something like uh, leaf mold if you have it, but something which will break down quickly is fine in amongst them because as soon as those herbaceous plants grow up, the canopy suppresses the weeds if you go in among shrubs and things like which are more likely to have bare ground in amongst them use something a bit more substantial some, some uh, really good quality compost or uh, bark possibly, but some, some composted bark, or, bark composted well. bark composted wood yep. pulp anything like that which will last a bit longer and actually suppress the weeds and keep the roots nice and cool now I said we're going to be talking to Pamela in Frinton about a rhubarb in just a moment but before that quite an interesting email came in and don't forget you can email me um, you can email me at ken.crowler at bbc.co.uk. Uh, Tony Bus... Tony, anyway. Tony has given us an email and he said he's been trying to... Uh, he's taken pelargonium cuttings for yep. years, very, very successfully, but he's tried also to grow them from seed. And he picks the, the seed head off and he's tried them... And he's just not getting anywhere. But it sounds as if he's not quite doing it right because the seeds are a bit tricky on pelargoniums, aren't they, Mick? Yes, they are. They're, they're, they're quite slow to germinate and a little bit erratic when they do germinate anyway. But is, it, is the taking of the seed quite now, important, Now, what, what it sounds it? to me, he says he's taking them off the plant and um, drying them out. Well... What we got on a, a, a pelagonium is uh, you've got this thing called a schizocarp, which is uh, it, it shoots the seeds out. So you've got a whole series of seeds at the bottom in a, like a crane's bill arrangement with the, um, uh, the the fruiting body, and as the fibres on the outside are like dry out and the seed ripens, it they shorten and it suddenly pings the seed out and, and flings it a bit like you know like one of these things that you throw a dog ball and you can throw it a really long distance. It's sort of like that sort of effect. So it throws them a long way from the parent plant. What you really would be better doing would be to loosely tie um, some small paper bags. You can get those around. little white bags, can't you? Yes. White paper bags. Yeah, and put those around the, the flower. And so when, when it gets when it dries out, if it does suddenly ping, you've still got the seeds. They'll then be ripe, but that's only the start of the story because, of course, again, the seeds themselves uh, are a little slow. Um, I've never really had much success with them. There's also people say about uh, nicking them with an, a, a, a knife and uh, sort of. Um, scarifying them, I don't know. I mean, they are a bit tricky. Now, the other thing, of course, is if he's growing pelagoniums which are hybrids, they won't come true from seed. And particularly if you've got F1 hybrids, they're actually developed from two very inbred lines of plants which produce these particular characteristics yeah, that's right. in the offspring. And that will not be true in the next generation. That's what we call the F2 generation. And they'll be variable and more like the original parents. So... so it's it's a challenge, basically. It is. But I I'm think, not saying we shouldn't rise no, to a challenge. No, and I, I think he should 
try, mm. I think the best thing to try is actually the paper bag so yes. you know yeah. you've got a right seed absolutely because yeah. what we're what we're thinking is that the seed isn't totally ripe yeah i think the longer the seed can stay on the plant the longer it ripens the more food there is in the seed the more chance there is you'll get a healthy seedling when it actually does deign to come up after you've given all the rest of the uh, the treatment so let's hope that that's the right answer we're going to go back to the phones and we are going to sunny frinton not so sunny today eh pamela no, it's not, Ken. <laughs> um, n- now, Ken, I, was, I can't remember your chap's name with you. Mick. 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 Now, Ken and Mick, mm. I was given last year a, a, a lovely little rhubarb plant. What make it is, I can't tell you. And it had a few lovely stalks. I was very tempted to pull it, but I thought, no, let the plant make. Absolutely so I left right. it. And now I've got several lovely stalks of rhubarb on it. Now, do can I pull this rhubarb, or do I leave it? Don't go for early. Don't year? go for early stalks on it in the second year it's in. Um, what I would do is let it do its thing. You can probably take a few stalks off this year, but I mean, but um, not this early. Not this early. No, let, let it really because you, you let it build its strength up. And so you can probably take you know, enough to make a pie in the summer or something like that. Well, as long as you're not making a desperate Dan-sized pie, you know. But, I mean, you can sort yeah, of uh, basically yeah. make a, a pie. Uh, but it's really in its third year that you start cropping. And then even in its third year, you don't take more than a third of the number of um, right. leaves off through the year. Because right, the more you take any... off, remember those leaves are the factories that the, the plant has to make food for itself. If it makes food for itself, it can store it down in that big, great big root at the bottom and it can make a bigger, healthier plant. And if you start robbing it of food, it's a bit like, you know, starving the economy of money. It sort of it, it gradually falters and uh, sort of drops into a recession. Exactly. So you don't want to put your rhubarb into a recession. And keep putting <laughs> compost round it to hold moisture right. around yeah. it as well. It's growing. I've planted it right next door to my compost heap. It'll love it. Yeah, perfect, yeah. Absolutely ideal. And just get some, well, root running that compost heap, find a nice friable compost near the bottom, just drag yeah. a bit of that around it. Yeah, it'll love it, yeah. So okay. really intriguing, I've got to leave it for another year before I start. You no, can take no, a bit take off, some, but, take but, some. But, but summer rhubarb. I mean, if early rhubarb is, is quite difficult anyway, unless you bring it in to sheds sort of thing or, or put it into uh, under, put a bucket over it. But I wouldn't recommend that treatment. If you've just got one rhubarb plant, you, you're growing summer rhubarb. Okay, from rhubarb to back to orchids, John from Brentwood, what would you like to know? Good morning. I can tell you now that over Brentwood is beautiful blue sky with warm sunshine. Sunshine's on the righteous, they say. Yes, indeed, yeah. Sunny Brentwood. (laughs) Well, it's starting to clear up here. (laughs) What you got for us, John? Right. About four years ago, I was given an orchid as a present. Yep. And it was, I think it was in flower then. It's never flowered since. What are you doing to it then that it's not flowering? Is this a, the one that looks like a pansy that's a phalaenopsis? I don't know. This is somebody, something called Made by Morale. Ooh. It's, it's a shop one, I would think. Oh, yeah. yeah no, just ignore that. That's so, yeah, just a company. Yeah, it's, it's got the main uh, plant with four big leaves on it, wide yeah. leaves, and there's two stems coming off it, going yep. up about a foot and a half, yeah, and there's loads and loads of aerial roots everywhere. Yeah, uh, bottom of the plant and the top of the stems, but I don't get any flowers, and it seems a bit pointless. Mm. Um, 
it's difficult to say really. the, the, the cue for orchids is, is environmental really they, they, they like to they don't like to be in very bright sunlight they like to be in bright light but out of the sun if you know what I mean so a north facing uh, window is ideal for them yes that's they don't what want, it is yeah good we, yeah so we don't want too much heat um, we don't want uh, too much um, feeding at the wrong times of the year. It's, it's... As it comes to spring, you could use an orchid feeder, drip yes, feed, yeah. orchid feed. Do uh, you do that? I did try that uh, part of the way through last year. It didn't seem to make any difference. I mean, it's it, it's difficult. We don't, we're not seeing where, where it's growing, but there's obviously something it doesn't like where it's growing. I mean, uh, the, 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 the old adage is if it doesn't like it, they try moving it, you know. <laughs> You're not overwatering it, are you, at all? Um, no, it's it's sort of dryish. That's what you want. Yeah. Dryish. Yeah. Mist it. Try misting it with a little mister. That sometimes helps. Yeah. Right. Okay. So mist oh. it, feed it in a uh, end of March. Yeah. End Not before. March. Start that drip feed. Yeah. And give yeah. it a go. And John, let us know how you get on. Okay. Is there any particular? Are these all these drip feeds all right? Because no, you buy an orchid one but specific. Yeah, no, with orchids, no, yeah. no, I know that, but I'll. Or any make of orchid feed, okay? Yeah, they'll, be, they'll be all be fine, yeah. Yeah, yeah all be all fine. made by reputable suppliers, yeah. Go to Tony now. You've got an overgrown fig, is that right, Tony? Uh, yes, we were uh, given the cutting about five, six years ago, yeah. um, which we've uh, put in, but I've never trimmed it up. Yeah. Are we, are we talking about sort of um, like a, a big sort of... Brown turkey the, type fig? Yeah, yeah it's, uh, it's, in, it's in a pot. Oh, yeah. it's in a pot. Right. Yeah. Is it in a big it's pot? container grown, and I've never cut it because I wasn't quite sure what to do it. Well, it's all arms and legs now. Yeah, um, shorten them back. Uh, the, the thing is, it, normally um, you, you shorten it back and keep it quite tight, and it makes new growths. And what happens on the, these new growths are where you get the... Because um, the, the, the figs stay on there for two years. So you shorten that back to just a few, usually about two or three or something like that, and then you they'll ripen the second year, and then you get new growths coming up from... Lower the base. down, yeah. That's oh, the way right. it's normally done. You could actually still prune it now, couldn't yes, you? It wouldn't so if, hurt you're not, it. if you're not actually doing it for the fruit, you can just shorten it all back and um, try and develop that. So you allow them to grow, and so the plant gets a little bit, if, if, for want of a better word, hairy, if you like, and the, uh, it'll produce a little pea sized uh, fruits, and then you cut those back to uh, two or three on a branch, and then they'll fruit the next year. That's the way it's done. And normally it's trained against a wall as well, so you try and prune it a bit flat to make sure the sun gets to them to ripen them. Yes, yeah, it's got two stems coming out as well. Should I have left that to go like that, or should it, or should it be one? No, it doesn't matter. No, it doesn't matter. It's the shape of it. I mean, obviously, you can very artfully prune them into fan shapes and all sorts of other things like that. You know, but I mean, any way, any way you want, really. Yeah, I mean, we've got a whacking great one, which nobody ever does anything to against one of the walls of hostels, and I regularly go and pick myself a couple of uh, figs off that in the uh, the autumn. So I mean, they will fruit, but just just managing it really, we're talking about. So I would shorten them back, like I said, and let just do that on a, a two yearly cycle. That it's like uh, shortening. Uh, and then uh, we pick the fruit, remove that branch, let some new growth come from lower down and keep doing that. OK, thanks for okay. your help. Not a OK, that's a pleasure. Uh, it's Tony from Bishop Storford, and we go now to... Oh, we're going... I'll tell you what, we've, we're going to Christmas, are we already, David, in Dagnum? <laughs> we've got a poinsettia update. You're getting ready for Christmas then, David. Yes. No, I don't know if you remember, I, I phoned in yep. with some advice, because my late wife always used to buy, buy a poinsettia. Yeah. And she always killed it by um, the 1st of January. And you told me what to do. Right. Get the right one. Yeah. My daughter then said, no, I'll pick it up. And brings me a half-dead one. Um, she said, well, that's the best I had. And for somehow, with your advice and following it, it's still going strong. 
the flowers have all dropped off, but there's new buds coming through. Mm, right. So, now, um, what, what you need to do now, then, about this time of year, is you cut it back yeah. to about six inches. Yeah. Repot it. Yeah. And basically, remember that the, the sap... Can give it can give you a rash because mm. it, it and it's poisonous. Don't put it near your eyes. Don't put it near your eyes because no. it's quite okay. nasty. Uh, but pot it up, grow it on as a house plant, and you're well on your way to producing a poinsettia ready for next year. Yeah. Now the trick is when it gets to the foam back in in the autumn, of course. But by September, you need to then put it into a room which the light isn't turned on at night, not even for a couple of minutes. Yeah, okay. In point yeah. setting nurse, it's sacking offence to go and turn the greenhouse lights on at night time. <laughs> but come back to us in the autumn, we'll give you more advice on that, David. But uh, do that and get it going again. Uh, Sandra from Tiptree says, Can I move a travelling arbutalon? It is doing well on a north facing fence, but I believe it will do even better on a south facing trellis. Thank you for any advice you can give. You could move it now, you couldn't could, you? Could, yeah. If it's doing well there, though, my advice would be. Try and take a cutting. It'll, it'll come from softwood cuttings quite easily, so when it starts into growth in the spring, uh, get yourself a couple of softwood cuttings, treat them a bit like you would fuchsia cuttings, something like that. Watch out for white flies when they're in the glass house. Uh, you've probably got something like Ken Aslett or one of these um, hardier ones. Like the, uh, That's a yellow Mega, with a bit of yeah, red Yeah, Beaton Mega Botanicum. So, so I, I, would, I would take some cuttings off it and put it somewhere else. Once it's growing successfully elsewhere, you can decide whether you want to keep the one on the north-facing wall or put something else in there instead. But that, that would be my tip for if it's doing well, leave it at the moment. Uh, very quickly, Hazel from Enfield says, Cox's apple tree covered in very large apples last year, but they didn't look or taste like it with the exception of a few smaller apples. Any advice for this year? No, it was an awful year for apples last year. They didn't uh, taste uh, great uh, at all, it, did they? Uh, and a lot of them didn't fruit. It was uh, the drought, really, and the, the awful uh, sort of spring conditions. But, um, yeah. No just, go. Just better look this year. And feed, you could feed it with a bit feed, of Vitax Q4. Always give it a bit of good horticulture on there, but, I mean, when it comes down to it, just write last year off and think about this year. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks very much for listening to the BBC Essex Gardening Hour podcast. If you missed any of the answers to the questions we gave, download this programme. Take it with you on the BBC Sounds app. Don't forget, if you have a gardening question for us, why not give us a call next Saturday on 0800 4041 and be part of the programme. Yes, that's every Saturday morning here on BBC Essex from 11 o'clock. 